Welcome to our first gathering of this new season. My name is Eden, and I'll be hosting our gathering this morning. So autumn has arrived, and with it, the rain that we have needed, and apparently are going to get quite a bit this week. And I don't know about you, but I love using the change of seasons to do a little heart work of my own. So the most obvious way for me um, as we head into this new autumn, this new season, is I, I ask myself a couple questions. What needs to fall away? Like leaves, what needs to fall away? And what is in vibrant color that I can enjoy? So I hope you can manage a bit of personal time to give your heart space to move into this new season. And if those questions are helpful and you need me to repeat them, you can just come and ask me later too. So welcome for whatever reason you find yourself here at the bridge this morning. We're really glad you've joined us and we have some of our folks on Zoom as well. So this morning you may have noticed that I've delayed doing our land acknowledgement because it's a bit more than usual. We acknowledge that we live and love and work and play here on the traditional lands of the Stolo, Kwatlin, and Semiamu nations. We are also freshly aware of the ongoing grief that accompanies many of our Indigenous siblings as they endeavor to honor and remember the children who went missing and died while being in residential schools. If you get our invitations for Zoom gatherings, you will likely have received an email this week inviting you to participate in contributing to the upcoming ceremonies being held at uh, Fraser River Heritage Park in Mission this coming weekend. Please take note of that email, and if you would like, you are welcome to contribute to that through us uh, here at the bridge. So <clears throat> I'm going to open with a prayer crafted by a profoundly gifted Indigenous leader by the name of Stephen Charleston from his beautiful book, Spirit Will. So let's pray. It was not my hand that sketched the deep valley of the earth or shaped the jagged edges of the great mountain summit. I did not cast the embers of stars against the night sky or pour the waters of the sea onto the dry land. There is a mind far greater than mine at work, a will and a purpose exceeding what I could even dream. When life seems out of control, I go outside to remind myself of that fact. I stand in the midst of creation's wheel and watch in wonder the quiet majesty of its turning. We are in the care of love without limit or definition, under the protection of a love that never looks away. You, Jesus, are the manifestation and demonstration of that love. Amen. Can we get you guys to come back? I know, coffee and chatting, oh my goodness. 
How could we take that away? <laughs> the Pied Piper is blowing her whistle at the back. Any kids who want to go outside, just follow the scooter. I'm just going to read the passage that Catherine is going to speak from this morning. And this is um, from the women's lectionary. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and sat down and his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the majesty of the heavens. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children, the sons and daughters of God. Our guest speaker this morning is Catherine Murray. She lives here locally and serves as a deacon at St. Dunstan's Anglican Church in Aldergrove, which might be why some of us, uh, she looks a little familiar to some of us. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in a meeting with her and some others, and I heard her share how the Beatitudes have been at the forefront of her life for several years now. And how she's allowing the truth of Jesus's message in Matthew 5 to actually change the way she lives. And I knew this passage was coming up in a couple of weeks because it was supposed to be my sermon. And um, in the moment, I asked if she would take this message this morning. And her immediate response was, yes, I will say yes. So Catherine is a thoughtful, kind, curious, and very caring woman who spends herself on behalf of others. Let's give her our attention. Come on up. I'm just gonna pray for you. Jesus, for what we're about to receive, let us be truly thankful. For the work you have done in Catherine's life, we give you gratitude. For the way Catherine has sat at your feet, distilled your beautiful words, and endeavored to live them out. We bless her and ask that you, Jesus, would bless us through her. Amen. Thank you, Eden. I'm really grateful to be here and really grateful to share with you. I hope you feel that way when I'm finished. <laughs> I hope Eden doesn't regret the invitation. Uh, before I share with you a little deeper on the Beatitudes, I want to invite you to do a breath prayer with me. And what that looks like is together, I'm going to invite you to breathe in with me the love of God three times. And then on each exhale, I'm going to um, just invite you to be aware of any cares or worries or burdens that might be hanging around your thoughts or your heart. 
and to be conscious just to release them to God on your exhale. Okay, so together with me, let's breathe in the love of God and breathe out. The second time together with me, let's breathe in the love of God and breathe out. And a third time together with me, let's breathe in the love of God and breathe out. Thank you, God, for your presence within us and all around. When I was a little girl, I have this memory uh, of being in Sunday school and singing the song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And as a little girl, like I'm talking maybe, you know, between six and eight, it was like one of my favorite Sunday school courses. And, but I was really focused on the part that says all these things will be added unto you because I wanted all the things added on. <laughs> so I thought I better seek the kingdom so that I can get all the things added on. And so it was, it was, it was, um, it was a childlike approach to uh, that, that scripture, which is in Matthew six. It's not part of our scripture today, but uh, one of my earliest introductions to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I hope today as an adult that I have a, a different, more relational view of the Sermon on the Mount, that the Beatitudes open up for us. I know that as an adult, I have come to be convinced that this sermon of Jesus is the highest way to live. I'm convinced and convicted it's the highest way to live. And over the last decade in particular, um, I've really tried to be intentional about taking this message to heart and following this way that Jesus has laid out, it's um, the vision of the Sermon on the Mount is always before me. It's kind of, it's something that has um, grabbed a hold of my heart and won't let me go. And although um, as I endeavor to walk this way, I fall down a lot. I, I keep remembering these words and I, I'm not sure who said them. I think it might have been Dostoevsky, but I'm not sure. It's... Um, even if I fall down while walking the right path, it's still the right path. It's okay to fall down. And before I start unpacking a little more of the Beatitudes, and I'm just going to offer you a reflection around them, um, my own experiential journey with them. Uh, it's not going to be an exegesis. Um, I want to tell you a story about trying to be intentional around being a peacemaker in the world. Um, I, I was really convicted of, like I said, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and wanting to be authentic about living them out. And so part of my journey involved going on a peacemaking delegation to Palestine in 2018. Um, I wanted to learn about being a peacemaker in the world. And a few months before I left to go, I was having a conversation with Eden's husband, Brad. And he said to me, you first have to be a peacemaker on the inside before you can be one on the outside. And I had an awareness of the truth of that. Uh, 
But on my trip to Palestine, it went a lot deeper. I was a few, I don't know how much you know about Israel's occupation of Palestinian territory and what that's like, but I, I knew so very little. I tried to be prepared, uh, but I knew so very little before I went. And I was only a few days in the, into the trip, but I was already overwhelmed by the injustice, the suffering, the oppression, the hate. And I really wondered if I could finish the trip. I was in a lot of despair. I felt really powerless about being able to do anything or make a difference or help. And in that place of powerlessness and hopelessness, really, I started to feel this hate rise up in me for the people that were committing the atrocities, who were acting so unjustly. And hate's a funny thing when you feel really powerless because it can, it has the illusion of feeling powerful. It's not true, it's, it's an illusion, but it, in that moment when you're really feeling overwhelmed, it has that um, feeling like of power. And I could feel this hate rising up in me, and I, I stood there, and I, I heard this voice inside me speak really clearly. And the voice said, don't go that way. Don't go the way of hate, or you will become like what you hate. And I was aware that I had this choice that I could let go of hate. It actually was not an easy choice for me to make because I was in that place of feeling so much despair at so much injustice and suffering. But in that moment with that awareness of choice, I made the choice to not hate and I let go. I surrendered. I surrendered to God. My own ego will, my own desire to reach and grab for power. I just said, okay, God, I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to open up. And I'd like to tell you that everything got really better instantly. It didn't. But it gave me enough awareness of God within me that I could keep going and that I could take the next step and finish the trip. I had a lot of experiences on that trip, but one of the things that it really taught me was it really does begin on the inside. And it took me right back to the first beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of my um, earliest introductions to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in, the, in particular as being a way or a path of transformation um, was when I got this book by Ron Dart uh, about almost a decade ago. And some of you probably know Ron. <laughs> he's, a, he's a local guy. And Ron offered uh, a commentary on the Beatitudes. And in his commentary, 
he translated the word blessed. He said that word in the Greek is makarios. And translating it as blessed is, is a good way to translate. It's not wrong. But a, a deeper way of translating it um, could be the inner poise and vision of the gods. So a way to think about that is if you want to be as God is in the world, if you want to be like Jesus and follow the way of Jesus, this is the path. It's the path of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with this way, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what I learned through Ron's commentary and through other um, mostly contemplative teachers is that to be poor in spirit is a way to think about that is to empty yourself. It's a, it's a kenosis. It's to say, not my will, but yours, God, be done. It's a way of letting go of our ego, my ego, and to let go of reaching for power or holding on to power or grabbing for it, and to trust God's way of love and God's way of being in the world, to trust that somehow kenosis and that path of surrender somehow does transform me and the world around me. I've long been inspired by um, Gandhi as an example of someone who sought to live out the Sermon on the Mount and intrigued all the more because he wasn't a Christian um, and yet a follower of Jesus <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I picked up number of years ago, I picked up his autobiography because I, I thought I want to hear it from him, what the impact of the Sermon on the Mount was in his life in terms of his formation. And I just want to read you a little bit of what he said about it. And, and it's in particular with this first beatitude. Um, at this time in his life, he's left India to study uh, in England. And he was living in a boarding house. And he met, he says, I met a good Christian from Manchester. And they were having a conversation, and the Christian man said to him, do please read the Bible. And Gandhi says, I accepted his advice, and he gave me a copy. I began reading it, but I could not possibly read through the Old Testament. But the New Testament produced a different impression, especially the Sermon on the Mount which went straight to my heart. And he, he names in particular the teaching of the blessed are the poor in spirit. And he says that he learned that renunciation was the highest form of religion to surrender our will to let go of our ego was the highest form of spiritual life. And Gandhi sought to live that out through nonviolent resistance of British occupation of India. And the British did leave. <laughs> That's the good news. 
The sad news is that Gandhi was assassinated in attempts to unify the people of India. There's something about that opening beatitude and that letting go of our ego will that becomes, it's like a doorway that leads us into all the other beatitudes. When I, if I can let go, then I can open myself up to God comforting me. And then I can be a comfort to other people. I can be present to the suffering of other people. I can be in solidarity with those that are suffering. If I can let go of my ego will, I can have a different relationship with power that allows me to move meekly in the earth. And being meek is not about being disempowered. It's not about powering over other people. It's about knowing how to live surrendered and yielded to God and to walk with humility in the world. And there's something about opening ourselves up that way that increases our hunger and our thirst for righteousness and justice in the world. And to want to work for that. It allows us to open up and experience God's mercy and to be shaped and changed to be merciful. There's something about that opening up that allows us to, that allows me to be aware of how God's at work in me to change me and to shape me. And this is how God works in me to purify my heart. There's unconscious things in me that I'm not even aware of. There's wounding in me that I, I know somewhat about, but I still need the work of Holy Spirit in me to help me know what needs work in me, what needs to be changed. I have hidden motives. I didn't know that hate would rise up in me when I went to Palestine. But if I can surrender, and if I can allow God, if I can consent to the work of God in me, in my interior world, then that changes me on the inside so that I can be aware of God within and on the outside too. Then maybe, just maybe, I can become somebody who can actually work for peace in the world. Who can who can, in God's way of love, make and create peace and justice in the world. I know that this way brings persecution for those who seek to follow it, but I have this awareness that if I can keep surrendering as best as I can, then there might be a capacity in me to be able to be present with that and to, to move through it. This um, foundational message of Jesus, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, he, uh, 
He perfectly lives it out. All the way to the cross, he perfectly loves. He perfectly surrenders. And invites me, invites us to do the same. Before I finish up, I want to share another story with you from Palestine about somebody that I got to meet there who's doing their best to live out the Sermon on the Mount and to live out the Beatitudes. His name is Daoud Nasser. He's a farmer. He lives just outside of Bethlehem. He lives on a mount. We got to visit his home and his farm. By the time I reached his farm, I was in pretty desperate straits in, in terms of my despair. And although I had let go of sinking into hate, I was still really hurting for the suffering that I witnessed. And when we met Daoud, I was really taken aback by the light and the joy that came from him. And what made him unique is that he boldly declared, I'm going to love my enemies. He's a Palestinian Christian. I mentioned that he lives on a, on a mount outside of Bethlehem. And he's surrounded by five Jewish settlements. At one point, uh, the Israeli military came in and bulldozed down 1,200 of his olive trees, which is his source of economic livelihood. And he said he was committed, no matter what, to loving his enemy and to seeking to be a peacemaker, to nonviolent resistance, um, to the way of love. And he told us how one Jewish settler came over and said to him, I'll help you replant your trees. He was like the literal Sermon on the Mount. Like he literally lived on a mount <laughs> outside of Bethlehem, doing his best to love his enemy and to be a peacemaker and to not be violent. And, you know, we walked around his farm and he, you know, he would pick figs and, and, and share the figs with us and served us an amazing lunch. But the light and the joy that came off of him that day, it changed me. Like I could feel the despair start to drip off. It was like a healing moment for me. And I thought, man, if this person can live this out under these circumstances, I have to at least try. <laughs> I have to at least, yeah. I'm grateful for his example. I keep that one before me too, which is why I share it whenever I can. I left there that day inspired. I left changed. I left with hope. And 
the courage at least to take another step on, on this way, on this path. There's a, when I'm, when I'm aware that I'm starting to hold on to my own will and my own ego, it feels like my hands are clenched. It feels like I'm grabbing and holding like that. But when I, if I can finally say, okay, God, I let go, then it feels like I've opened up my hands. And when I open up my hands, it feels like, okay, now God can fill me. Or maybe it's just that I become aware of God in me, like aware of God at work in me, more aware because I've let go now of self, Catherine's way, Catherine's will. And now I'm more aware, oh, oh, God is with me. <laughs> um, so it's become this way of helping me, I guess, discern. When am I in my ego? When am I in my will? Or when am I able to let go? And I wonder if, before I close, if I can invite you to do, um, well, let's call it listening prayer. <laughs> I'm going to invite you to um, close your fists with me. And let's together ask Jesus, is there any... And you don't have to participate. This is completely optional. <laughs> I'm just going to invite you to participate with me. Jesus, is there anywhere in my life, anywhere in our lives that you want to make us aware where we are holding on to our own will, our own ego agenda? I wonder if if you we could let go. I wonder and you may not be ready and that's okay. If something's coming to your awareness and you and you're not ready, that's okay. As best as you're able. But I wonder if we could say, Okay, God, I'm gonna let go of that that place or that thing or that person and I'm gonna open up my hand. I'm gonna open up my heart. And I'm going to invite you in there, into that place. And welcome your presence there. Yeah, let go. Thank you, God. And I pray that you meet us in all these places where we struggle to surrender and where we struggle to let go. And I pray for a grace to live this inside-out journey of the Beatitudes. Amen. I always know how I'm going to close this. And then quite often something comes up and it's usually, uh, it's usually lyrics from one of the songs. 
and this morning it's the same. So as you leave today, I want you to remember this. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on them. Amen.